Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. To all the folks in the Capital City metro area, love to have you join me tomorrow morning, 6 to 9, Gallo Show. We'll start your day the informed way. Super Talk Mississippi 97.3. Lavish leaks and streams, pines full of the wildest life and possibility. I said, one Mississippi, there's a magnolia tree. It's Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi. From the Foundation Studio right here on Biloxi's Back Bay, welcome to Super Talk Outdoors, where, as you well know by now, we celebrate the incredible world-class outdoors of the state of Mississippi every single Monday at lunchtime. We want to thank you for joining us on the powerful Super Talk Mississippi Radio Network. You may be joining us at Super Talk TV at Ceasefire TV. We appreciate you doing that as well. But if you're listening on Facebook or YouTube or your favorite podcast, it is May the 9th, 2022. As we listen to that wonderful song, the theme song for Super Talk Outdoors, One Mississippi by Steve Azar, the new state song for the state of Mississippi. I'm so happy for Steve. I'm really happy for our state because I think that song is uh, it's, it represents so, so much positive about our great state. Hey, listen, I didn't do any fishing over the weekend because we were enjoying Mother's Day, celebrating the mothers in my life. My wife and my mother, my wife's mother, my daughter, Tori. Uh, it was really a special weekend. It was, the weather was absolutely incredible down on the coast this weekend. The winds offshore now, they weren't so good. They were, they were, it was pretty brisk wind most of the, most of the weekend. Um, but when we were riding down the beach yesterday after we, uh, after attending church, um, I was, I mean, it was, it was just beautiful. The water, the water along the beach was super clear, which uh, kind of gave clarity, literally and figuratively, to the reality that flounder gigging has, uh, the reports of flounder gigging have been really good lately. Uh, people have been really enjoying it. You can ride down the beach at night and see all the lights along the shore. They're really, they're really enjoying it. Hey, listen, I, I had the opportunity this past week on Friday, all day Friday, I might add, uh, a planting centipede on the lot we bought next door and are working to improve. What I what I discovered is that all these years of doing food plots made me a pretty good centipede grass planter. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess the proof's going to really be in the pudding because if you, as you probably know, if you don't know, I'll tell you, it, it takes about 10 to 28 days for centipede to germinate. But, you know, we put the fertilizer out. I spent about four hours on a four-wheeler aerating the soil, and and then we put the fertilizer and the seeds out. And now it's basically water and wait. (laughs) We're going to water and wait. But, uh, you know, when I think about it, I think about all this time that I've been waiting for food plots to grow. Can you imagine if we had to wait 28 days for a food plot to grow? It would probably drive us all crazy, wouldn't it? I think it probably would. Hey, one other, one other, uh, one other thing from the coast here. Uh, Mississippi red snapper season is uh, plotted to start in three weeks. So for recreational fishermen and for charter boats, at 12:01 a.m. Friday, May the 27th, and then uh, then there's going to be an anticipated mid-season closure. This gives the Department of Marine Resources an opportunity to compile all their data. And, and landing information, and then they'll contemplate whether they'll do an extension or not. They usually do. Um, I've been hearing some incredible reports, though, of huge catch-and-release snappers. So it's going to be a great season. But that's in three weeks. Season kicks off May the 27th. And listen, if you do a search today, you may you may have actually know, noted that there was uh, a, a particular black bear in Mississippi in the news recently. If you go do a search on black bear in Mississippi, what you will find is that there is a lot of information up there. There's a lot of news stories. Um, people going to food plot, one guy in particular, where there were four bears in his food plot when he got there. You know, people catching incredibly large bears on trail cams. Um, you know, bears getting into stuff in people's houses and uh, around their houses and, you know, guidance on how to keep that from happening, et cetera. But we've seen a significant increase in bear population in Mississippi 
And we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that in the first half of the show. In the second half of the show, we're gonna come to my friend Ricky Flynn, and we're gonna talk about alligators. We've been seeing uh, an increase in number and spotting of alligator here in coastal Mississippi, and uh, you know there's a reason for that. We'll talk to Ricky Flint about that too with the upcoming season and all that. So always enjoy catching up with uh, with Ricky. So now let's turn to my friend Richard uh, Rummel. He's the he's with the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and he's the new black bear program leader and uh, first let me just welcome you to super talk outdoors how you doing richard i'm great good to be here good to be here this morning you're you're at your house where, where are you coming from this morning i'm in flowood mississippi uh, that's that's my home but i work statewide with the bear program so i may be on the coast i may be in northeast mississippi i may be in the delta you never know yeah, well, you know what? I mean, it's and we're going to get into the two genetic types of bear in Mississippi and why there's an increase in number with the influx of females and there's a lot to talk about there. Before we do that, though, I want to take a step back for a second and learn a little bit more about you because you and I didn't have the opportunity to meet before the show. We we obviously got a chance to chat before we went we went on live. But um, you know, tell me, where'd you come from? Um. Actually, I was born in Ohio because my dad was from there, but uh, I moved down here when I was one year old. So uh, I'm a Mississippian, born, or, you know, I mean, not born, but uh, but raised here. So I'm, you know, I don't consider myself a Yankee. Uh, <laughs> my life has been here in, in uh, central Mississippi area. Uh, and um, I was, I started with the... Uh, I guess my my whole career has been in the wildlife field, whether in, in captive wildlife. I spent about 15 years in the zoo business uh, here in Mississippi and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I worked uh, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Endangered Species Program. I worked with the uh, with our state natural heritage program when it was first started back in about 1977. So I'm I'm revealing my age a little bit there. Um, yeah. But then I've been with the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks for uh, 25 years in November. So 40-plus years in the wildlife field. So, hey, Richard, growing up in central Mississippi, did you always have the outdoors and love of the outdoors and wildlife in your blood? Yeah, and I kind of think it goes back to people laugh about it. But when I was a kid, my sister and I growing up, we're just a year apart. Uh, My grandmother, who we kind of lived with, she had a local butterfly club. She loved butterflies, and and all you know, my sister and I and all our little friends would come over. And uh, she, uh, I just grew up with an appreciation for the outdoors, and you know, went from uh, kind of started with butterflies and birds and everything. She just had an appreciation and, and instilled all that in us kids. Well, that's that's interesting. So when you joined the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, what 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 did you do initially? Actually, uh, I also managed the uh, exotic species or inherently dangerous program, and the, and the state legislature passed a law in 1997 that would regulate uh, the keeping or possession of, of what we call inherently dangerous animals. That's like big cats, uh, bears, things like that, because there was no state law previously, and uh, and there was some concern by a couple of groups that. Uh, you know, that was kind of getting out of hand. Nobody, you know, there was no animal care. There was no uh, restrictions on who could keep that. So uh, I was hired when that program started. I was hired to kind of get it going up off the ground. So so I still do that. That's, that's part of my job. Well, you, you do know that the average consumer today, because of Joe Exotic, <laughs> that, that series on Netflix, yeah. the average consumer is kind of an expert on this today. But there, there's more awareness of exotic animals today than there was a few years ago, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and still kind of a concern because, um, you know, people see some of these shows and uh, and want to get a pet monkey or they want to get a you know a baby tiger or they want to get something that you know they should stick with a dog or a cat or a goldfish it's just they don't realize the the responsibility that that comes with that sort of thing yeah i was watching a, a narco series where el chapo had you know his collection of exotic animals and then you hear the stories of uh, people like uh, 
uh, Mike Tyson and his love of exotic animals. And yeah, but they're they're dangerous though, aren't they? I mean, you, it's, it's just basically hard to keep one of those without without the, the danger associated with it. That's right. That's right. People don't realize that a that a baby tiger grows up to a you know a four hundred pound animal, or that a you know a monkey you know has his own mind, and and uh, you know. So it, it's just we discourage keeping of exotic animals. Although we have regulations that if you want one and certain things, we have permitting requirements, caging requirements, veterinary requirements, and that sort of thing. Well, that's that's so interesting. Um, so it, it's so it, you've essentially sort of worked in that area most of your career, if not all your career, I guess, huh? Yeah, and and even when I was in the, in the zoo business, I. Uh, I did a lot of uh, contract work with our Natural Science Museum. Uh, everything from uh, freshwater mussels to bats, uh, a lot of things like that. So it's not just been captive animals. It's uh, I have an interest in just about everything. I joke with people. Like I said, I spent a lot of years uh, working on our freshwater mussel collection and collecting and surveying around the state with our with our museum folks. And then ended up in in the in the zoo business training elephants. So there's kind of a you know a lot of critters in between. <laughs> you seen it, you seen it all. Listen, we're having a conversation with Richard Rommel, who's the new Black Bear Program leader for the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. When we come back, we're going to talk about this the growing population of black bears and the encounters that people are seeing and the headlines that are coming out of that. And get a get a sense of what this program is all about. We'll see you after this break. From the SeabrookPaint.com Weather Center, I'm Bob Sullender. For all your paint and coating needs, go to SeabrookPaint.com. Today, mostly sunny conditions, high near 93. Tonight, clear skies, low around 67. For your Tuesday, sunny skies, high near 92. Tuesday evening, clear skies, low around 63. And a look for your Wednesday, sunny skies, high near 95. This weather brought to you by our friends at Gaddis McLaurin Mercantile in downtown Bolton. Shop local. Gaddis McLaurin Mercantile, your building supply expert since 1871. Hey, this is Will with Service Specialist. Are you looking for new employees, spending hours searching recruitment sites? For over 50 years, Service Specialist has been connecting hard-to-find qualified candidates for employers. We have candidates for all your administrative, professional, manufacturing, and industrial needs. Check us out online at servicespecialistltd.com. That's servicespecialistltd.com. Service Specialist, your expert recruiters helping employers and job candidates connect since 1967 with offices in Ridgeland, Canton, and Oxford. Good Things with Rebecca Turner is brought to you in part by Trust Care, where you'll find a team of experienced, knowledgeable, and friendly staff. Visit TrustCareHealth.com to schedule an appointment today. Trust Care. Feel better, faster. If recent hailstorms have invited lurk the leak into your home, call the experts at Watkins Construction and Roofing to find out what is lurking in your roof. Our rapid response roof team will be on top of your roof as soon as the next business day with a complimentary, honest assessment of your roof's condition and offer solutions to keep your home and family safe. Say goodbye, lurk the leak. Call Watkins Construction and Roofing today at 601-966-8233 or visit losetheleak.com. What do you have to lose but your leak? Morganstone has been serving builders, contractors, and homeowners since 1997. They have everything for interior and exterior projects. We have all kinds of stuff. Marcus, let me tell them. Stone pavers, stone benches, stone slabs, stone boulders, stone fire pits, flagstone, fieldstone, bluestone, cobblestone, chopstone. That's right, Zeta. I'm Zoe Morgan. We're rock solid since 1997. Statewide delivery, the largest stone yard in Mississippi. Come see us at Morganstone in Brandon. Morganstone.com. Tune in this Saturday morning from 8 till 10 for Weekend Gardening, where Garden Mama Nellie Neal will tackle all your gardening questions. Weekend Gardening, brought to you in part by The Tractor Store, your local Mahindra dealer, The Tractor Store, Highway 49 South in Richland. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. Celebrating our 40th anniversary at Cock of the Walk. Voted the best catfish in Mississippi with our grilled or fried catfish along with greens, coleslaw, and a skillet of our homemade cornbread. With locations on the Reservoir, Pocahontas, and one mile from the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. Catfish, hush puppies, and fried dill pickles. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. I like chicken. I like fish. I like hush puppies. 
I love it. Catfish is excellent. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. Gallo here with a special invitation to join us weekday morning, 6 to 9. Breaking news, quick shots, analysis, all right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. Welcome back to Super Talk Outdoors. We're having a conversation with my friend Richard Rummel, who is head of the Black Bear Program for the state of Mississippi. And like, like I said, if you're not play, paying close attention, you might think black bear and think of something like the Smoky Mountains. You know, when you go visit the Smokies and you, you encounter the black bears, et cetera. But what has happened here in Mississippi is that it went from rare sightings from time to time to more frequent sightings more recently. Uh, the bear, the bear program for the department actually started back in 2002, and we're going to rebuild some of that history with you to give you a sense of the types of bear that are here in Mississippi, and then why are we starting to see more encounters more recently? So, well, let's go back to the beginning uh, when the, when the program was just starting in Mississippi. What was the goal, uh, Richard? Well, <clears throat> at that time, we, as you said, the bear population was growing. Uh, the department never had someone fully devoted to studying black bears. Uh, we had people going around, and myself was one, and just documenting. We'd get a call from, you know, somewhere and say, I think I found bear tracks. And so we'd travel two miles, I mean, two hours to an area and say, yep, that's bear tracks. So it's basically put a dot on the map you know trying to keep track of these things so that was growing just you know exponentially so the department finally decided as you said in 2002 you know we need somebody full-time devoted to this because the population is growing uh our agency is mandated to to manage uh the wildlife resources of the state so we knew we knew we needed to get a better handle on, on the bear population so uh position was created in 2002 uh brad young was our initial uh bear program leader uh he spent i think about 10 or 11 years with us before moving on uh then it was um a little inactive for for uh, a couple years we still two main two things we did we kept track of sightings uh to continue on with our with our database of sightings which allowed us kind of to monitor where the bears were as well as any potential uh, human bear conflicts. In other words, you know, a, a bear's getting into my uh, wildlife feeder or a bear's come through my backyard and gotten in garbage. So that's one thing that, that we monitor very closely. I was kind of on the fringes of that or, or not full time. And then uh, a few years later, the department said, well, we need to, you know, get the bear program up and going again. So, um, so, 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 Richard, we're dealing with two basic uh, animals here. One is the American black bear, and one is the Louisiana black bear. Black bear. Give me a differentiate between the two. Well, you know, uh, for the average person, there's no difference. Uh, it, it's a taxonomic thing with with um, you know zoologists. You could have a bear, kind of the dividing line from what's called the Louisiana black bears, basically two, from the southern two-thirds of the state. The northern third is American black bear. If you had two of them standing side by side, nobody could tell the difference. Uh, it goes back to taxonomy and people looking at skulls and measuring skulls and bones and all that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, basically, they're, they're, they're pretty much one and the same animal. So let's talk a little bit about the range. What, what, so what's happened is slowly but surely, I think for a long period of time, if I remember this history right, there were a lot of males here and females have sort of begun to make their way in. What's the range of them? And, and is it the influx of males, excuse me, influx of females that had caused a more recent proliferation? Kind of give us a sense of that. Yeah. Like I said, for so many years, uh, there were males around, um, and what we found in some of the, that this was before really we did any radio collaring and that sort of thing. But if we would get, say, a roadkill, for example, uh, it would be a male, either an adult male or a young male. Now, when cubs are born in um, in January, February, 
they stay with the mother for about a year and a half till the following summer uh, at about 18 17 18 months old then mom kicks them out she's ready to breed again so at that point uh the female cub tend to stay closer to their mother's home range or their natal range where they were born the males on the other hand kind of hit the road they they go they wander and that's typically of carnivores um so a, a young yearling male may wander 80 miles 100 miles 200 miles kind of looking around for his own home range where there's not a resident breeding male they're they're just kind of looking so so most of these sightings we get for so many years were young males um and then uh as we we really have two sources of, of the recovering population or what we call recolonizing population in mississippi and that is the area uh in louisiana west of vicksburg um Tensaw River National Wildlife Refuge, that area in North, Alabama, uh, North Louisiana, uh, has had a very healthy bear population, and uh, which is expanding, continues to expand. Uh, and then southeastern Arkansas, pretty much across from Bolivar County, Mississippi, up through there, the North Delta uh, area, the White River National Wildlife Refuge, for years had a very healthy and expanding bear population. So the Mississippi River is no deterrent at all to a bear. Um, they'll come across, and we know from um, bears that were radio collared in Arkansas, females, swam the Mississippi River. Some we knew that went kind of back and forth. Some actually stayed in Mississippi. We also know um, across from Wilkinson County down in southwest Mississippi, Louisiana Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was seeking to um, connect two of the subpopulations of bears in Louisiana. So they moved some of the bears from um, Tensaw area down to a, a wildlife management area complex, which was adjacent to um Wilkinson County. Yeah. So they moved females with cubs down there to kind of reconnect those populations. Well, as, as fate would have it, some of the females, at least two we know of, swam the Mississippi River over into Louisiana, I mean, uh, into Mississippi, bred and had cubs there. So, um, so a majority of our population that's recolonizing the eastern, or excuse me, the western part of the state along the Mississippi River has come from Arkansas and Louisiana. But we're also seeing now on the eastern border, uh, lower Alabama, kind of the Mobile River Basin, has a growing population. So we're seeing, we know some of the bears that we're seeing in the southeastern part of the state are coming in from Alabama. It's so it's so interesting to me to, to, to see just how this is proliferating. One of the interesting points that probably has helped you a lot with the advancing technology of trail cams, and obviously everyone has a, cell cam, a cellular camera today, that probably has increased the number of data points you guys have, I mean, exponentially compared to five, six, seven, eight years ago. Oh, it's incredible. And, and that's uh, a part of my job that can be overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> as you said, it's, it's great because there's so many cameras in the woods, you know, these days. So we're getting people uh send us trail camera pictures uh i get text you know somebody will text me a picture on my phone and i say okay where is this you know uh we get people calling in we get people reporting we also have a reporting app on our agency webpage, which we encourage people to use uh if you go to mdwp.com and look on the black bear page you see report a sighting and you can click in you can go to a map you can is is you know, much detail as you can fill in and trying to uh, keep track of all that information can be overwhelming at times because you get so many different uh, uh, origins of yeah uh, right but that's you know we want that we that's helping us keep track of where the bears are where they're moving we're getting we're getting pictures of females with cubs in areas in the state that haven't seen that in decades You're right. Uh, 
So, hey, listen, we're, we're coming to the end of the segment, so I want to make sure that we give people, you mentioned it just a second ago, but the main thing is if someone sees a bear in their yard or has, begins to sense a nuisance bear of some sort or just see, has a sighting in particular, what should they do? Okay. One of the first things is, like I said, you can go to our app. We, we'd appreciate that because that really helps us keep keep track of it. Uh, but one of the things that, that we encourage is when bears get to, we bear managers uh, try to get away from the word nuisance. Uh, we tend to use bear human conflicts or potential conflicts. And, and the main reason for that is attractants. If you have yeah. garbage in your, in your in your yard or anything like that, Wildlife feeders can be anything. Try to try to remove the attractants. Uh, you can go to our webpage. Bearwise.org is a fantastic resource. Try to manage bears. We have um, good. Yeah, no, I, we're coming to the end, but yeah, this has been Richard Romo. He's head of the Black Bear Program in, in Mississippi. But if you see a bear, report it. That's the point. You got to go do a Google search. You can find all the processes that you need to go through to do the reporting. And we'll we'll check back in with Richard and talk about some of the encounters that we've had in Mississippi along the way in a few weeks. Look forward to talking back to you, Richard. Sure. Glad to join you. When we come back, we'll have Ricky Flint, and we're going to talk alligators. We'll see you after this break. Hello, I'm Colonel Randy Ginn, Director of the Mississippi Highway Patrol. In 2021, MHP investigated 1,480 crashes involving commercial motor vehicles on Mississippi roadways. Many of those crashes could have been avoided. The MHP Motor Carrier Safety Division is partnering with big rig truckers to conduct safety checks across our state through the Troopers and Truckers Safety Initiative. The Department of Public Safety and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration are working together with one common goal, to keep our highways safe for everyone. Thank you and drive safe. Access to quality health care is essential to building a healthier and stronger Mississippi. At Amerigroup, we're doing everything we can to make that a reality. So far, we've invested over $3 million to support Mississippi communities. We also bring more than 30 years of experience partnering with state Medicaid programs throughout the country. This is just the beginning of Amerigroup's commitment to enrich the lives of every Mississippian. Learn more at AmerigroupMS.com. I'm Larry Rowlett, former Secret Service Special Agent in charge of the President Ronald Reagan Protective Division. I have purchased Boondocks Firearms Training Academy. I'm inviting you and your family to consider membership in Boondocks FTA. All levels of training for families and individuals are available. We are committed to our effort to keep you and your family safe from gun violence. Support our efforts. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And visit us at boondocksfta.com. Frisco Deli, serving giant sandwiches, award-winning rib plates, and original recipe catfish with a family-friendly atmosphere. Open 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. Frisco Deli, we have something for everyone. Located just off Pearson Road on Phillips Lane in Pearl. Come see us. Green Home Solutions is a proud VIP sponsor of the Handyman Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Whether you're a proud DIYer or a seasoned veteran, Buddy Slowick has the answers to your home improvement questions each Saturday from 10 till noon. Hey, I'm here with Alex Murray of Auto Innovation. At Auto Innovation, we want to change your car buying experience. When you're in the market for a quality pre-owned vehicle, please come see us. We want to make friends, not just customers. All eligible vehicles are inspected by a Master Tech mechanic and come with a limited powertrain warranty on us. We are located on Highway 51 in Ridgeland. Come by and see us or check out our inventory online at autoinnovation.net. Let us change your car buying experience. Auto Innovation, Highway 51 in Ridgeland. Family. They're definitely family in that clinic. Carter Sledge Family Dentistry is just that, a family. It was just, and every time I go in, it's just like, they're so nice and they just, they're just so compassionate. It seems silly to say that it was a pleasure, but it really was. Carter Sledge Family Dentistry, 772 Lake Harbor Drive in Richland, 601-607-7876. I'm Kelly Bennett, and you're listening to Super Talk Mississippi News. 
Several states, including Mississippi, are experiencing a shortage of baby formula. Alana Contrill is unable to breastfeed because of a mastectomy from breast cancer. She shared her concerns on Fox and Friends this morning. There are parents out there Googling how to make homemade formula and looking at animal milks mm. and goats and all of this stuff. And that's just really unsafe. And I feel that we're on the verge of a public health crisis. Some major retailers are responding to the shortage by limiting the amount of formula customers can purchase at one time. Natchez native and country music legend Mickey Gilley passed away Saturday at the age of 86. Gilley's namesake, Texas Honky Tonk, inspired the 1980 film Urban Cowboy. He had 39 top 10 hits, 17 number one songs, and won six Academy of Country Music Awards. Before your next trip into the great Mississippi outdoors, make sure you stop by your local Gateway Tire and Service Center, where we go the distance for you. No matter where the road takes you, Kenda has a tire designed for your journey, on the road, on the trail, or on the racetrack. You can count on Kenda quality. For the past 50 years, Kenda has been building a better tire for life's most demanding activities. Actually, they overbuilt them to ensure you succeed safely in everything you do. Stop by any Gateway Tire or Service Center near you for the largest selection of Kenda tires in Mississippi. While you're there, don't forget Gateway's ASE certified mechanics are trained to diagnose and repair your car or truck with honest customer service. Gateway Tire and Service Center offers lube, oil and filter changes, engine diagnostics, belts, hoses, brakes, wheel alignment, and of course, tires, just like Kenda, designed for your journey. Gateway Tire and Service Center supports Mississippi outdoors. And of course, we go the distance for you. You know that nowadays, most people go online to look at a business before they spend their money. Do you have an old, outdated website or just a Facebook page and still not bringing in customers? Targeted digital advertising from Supertalk Mississippi Media Digital's highly trained and trusted staff is the answer. We're ready to work with you to help your business capitalize on the power of digital marketing. Call 601-991-2305 or go to stmmdigital.com to get started today. Welcome back to Super Talk Outdoors. I really enjoyed that conversation. You know, Kyle and I were talking about during the break, you don't get a sense that Mississippi would be a place where you'd see a lot of black bears. But so interesting. I mean, I I guess if you pay uh, close attention to recent headlines, you sort of understand that there are more encounters with, uh, with bear. I like the way he said it, that they don't like to look at bears as a nuisance, more of more of a conflict with humans and the work that we need to do to reduce the, the conflict that we might have with them. But the notion that a male bear would go up to 200 miles as they roam around looking for sort of what their home range is going to be and, uh, you know, a couple of uh, females you know, swimming across the Mississippi River and then breeding and having cubs in Mississippi uh, no wonder there are so many bears being caught on trail cams these days. What what an interesting conversation. We're going to have him back actually in a, in a few weeks and talk more about some of the headlines that we're seeing and how the department is dealing with those because we've seen an increased number of those. Um, so now let's shift gears. We're going to move over to my friend Ricky Flynn. He's a wildlife coordinator with the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. He's Fur bear, head of the alligator program. He's a nuisance wildlife program coordinator. He's done it all. He's been on uh, Super Talk Outdoors. I think this would be his third appearance, and he's also been with me on my show on the Coast Coast View. But without any further ado, let me say good morning to you, my friend. How you doing? Good morning. Good to see you. Or should I say afternoon, for, for goodness sakes. Anyway, it's good to see you, man. You been busy? I have been. It's, uh, you know, when it's spring uh it starts to get a little more active uh the alligators are waking up from their dormant period of the over the winter and uh they're starting to get a little more active and that results in some more work and some more activity more calls and also getting ready for the upcoming alligator hunting season so there's plenty to do there is plenty to do um just along the coast um over in Ocean Springs, a sighting of a really, really big one. Uh, the Mayor Kenny Holloway from Ocean Springs was on his boat at Point Cadet Marina in Biloxi, 
and uh, sent a picture of one they saw there in the marina. And then, of course, there's been a sign or two along Front Beach. But that doesn't surprise you, as you said. You know, they wherever they go to sort of hold up for the winter, they're now out and about. And, you know, you expect that you're going to get a bunch of calls this time of year, don't you? Yeah, so um, it is the breeding season uh, we're going into right now. It's already started. It'll probably peak out in uh, the month of May and June. And uh, with that, uh, these male alligators are going to be moving around uh, looking for uh, willing females. Um, and during that time, they can travel quite some distance. Um, people kind of think of alligators staying in the same place all the time, uh, but we know, uh, at least in some instances, they can move as much as 52 miles. Wow. How, did you collar one? Is that how you know that? Yeah, we've uh, we've been placing uh, marking tags on alligators since 2007, uh, right after we started our first alligator season in 2005 in an effort to try and get some mark recapture uh, data about how far alligators move, how much they grow. And um, since 2007, the program has uh, captured, tagged, and released over 800 alligators um, in that time uh, across the state. And um, we, we get quite a few uh, recaptures during the alligator hunting season, but we also get some uh, ourselves as we capture and remove alligators, nuisance alligators, alligators that are out of place. And uh, we had one particular one that we tagged over near the Eagle Lake uh, vicinity. Um, I don't remember which what year it was, but it was probably around 2014, 15, somewhere in that area. And it was later uh, taken by a nuisance alligator uh, trapper in the state of Arkansas up near Lake, uh, Lake Shaco. Uh, wow. In Lake Providence, uh, Arkansas. Uh, so I, I say Lake Providence, Louisiana, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so I think straight line miles, it was about uh, 35 or so miles straight line. But if you looked at the waterways and the path of least resistance through the water, it was probably in the neighborhood of about 52 miles that alligator traveled. I remember you and I had talked about this before, but uh, I think people always are curious about it. So let's let's remind people: we don't have a history of alligators attacking people in Mississippi. You, you've got one news article from way back. Kind of kind of let people know that it's they're not like a shark that you're gonna you're gonna see you know, regular attacks. But give a sense of what what your thoughts are on uh, the the likelihood that an alligator is gonna attack a human. Well. Fortunately or unfortunately, uh, people have access to a lot of media. Um, you can go all across this world, and if uh, a child six years old to an adult has access to television and the Internet, there's two wildlife species that just about everyone in the world knows something about, and that's sharks and alligators. And um, unfortunately, alligators and sharks both get a bad rap. Um, it, it, there's a lot of drama uh, that is easy to be produced around them uh, because they are apex predators and they are capable of attacking humans. Um, although that is extremely rare. Uh, if you think about the number of alligators that are out there and the close proximity that they exist within human populations. And so uh, Mississippi has never had a documented case in, re you know, in modern history um, there is some uh, records uh, from an old newspaper in the late 1800s that recorded an alligator attack in your region down there in the Gulf Coast. Uh, there, it's very loose details about it. But uh, other than that, we've never had a documented case of an alligator attacking a, a human in the state of Mississippi. Has it happened to other places? Yes, in Florida it happens. Uh, they've had about, I think, in the neighborhood of 40 or so fatalities since the 1940s, but uh, the alligator population in Florida uh, is tremendously larger than that in Mississippi, and the human population is tremendously greater than what it is in Mississippi, and they exist and uh, coexist in the same areas. Um, you know, in, in Florida, if, 
if there's water and land nearby, then they're going to uh, uh, produce uh, homes and uh, businesses and things around the waterways. And so uh, it's subject to happen. And to some degree, you know, on coastal Mississippi, we have to deal with that. And then here in the Jackson area around Ross Burnett Reservoir, um, there is close proximity of alligators and humans all the time. Uh, but yet we have very few even incidences at all. And usually if it happens, it, it, it happens around like a, like you're talking about a marina, uh, or a, a boat dock, uh, fishing piers and things like that. And they're, they're becoming associated with a source of food. And unfortunately we have people that will throw food out for alligators, uh, and that becomes a very dangerous situation. It is illegal and we will enforce it, uh, for obvious reasons. So, um, I think Louisiana documented one attack here just in the last couple of years. And just about in every case, um, Florida, Louisiana, uh, other states, I think South Carolina has had a fatality. Um, it's almost always associated with people who are swimming in areas where alligators are known to exist, in particular doing it at night and or in areas where alligators have been fed by people. And so that becomes a recipe for danger. Yeah, I think about, I, I do a lot of fishing. And uh, so off the Bay Area, it could be weight fishing in Cat Island or Horn Island or even in Chandelier Islands. And it's not unusual to, to be fishing and within 50 yards have a 6 to 10 foot alligator just kind of hanging out. And we got used to it over the years. It's a little unnerving when they go under because <laughs> you, you, you don't know which way they're going. But they're, they're, you know, I mean, basically, they're, they are just as leery of us as we are of them, aren't they? Yeah, they're, you know, in areas where there's a lot of uh, recreation, particularly fishermen, uh, water skiing and things like that, alligators become a little more tolerant of people just by association. But they still have a natural fear of human activity and they will avoid us. Um, those younger alligators, they, those in that like that four to six foot range, they kind of have a little bit of a curiosity uh, to human activity, and they may come uh, a short distance away, but then they stay a safe distance away at the same time. And um, we deal with nuisance alligator complaints. Uh, you know, those calls are starting to ramp up now uh, as alligators are becoming more uh, active. Uh, they're more visible this time of year because the aquatic vegetation hasn't quite built up to hide uh, those alligators where they exist. And then we'll we'll deal with those calls uh, individually. And um, some of those calls do result in us having to catch them and remove them. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ricky Flynn. I want to talk about what, tell, I want to hear about nesting and what we should avoid as it relates to nesting now that we're into the breeding season. And then we'll also talk about the upcoming alligator um, permitting that's going to happen in June. We'll see you after this. to get that fixed. Uneven driveways causing headaches? Helms Polyfoam will fix it without tearing up your driveway in the process. We inject polyfoam under settled concrete to stabilize it in a matter of minutes, not days. Polyfoam is used on runways, railways, and highways, so there is no question it will support your driveway. We also repair seawalls, sidewalks, pond dams, retaining walls, and unstable soil. Visit HelmsPolyfoam.com or call Helms Polyfoam at 601-966-7821. This hour of Middays with Gerard Gibbert is sponsored by Innovative Health Clinic in Ridgeland. For personalized in-office treatment for urinary incontinence, erectile dysfunction, and neuropathy, they help you get your life back. Here's John and Corey Ravenstein for Juniker Jewelry Company. There are plenty of stores out there who buy old jewelry. But ask yourself, who can I trust to give me an honest valuation? And then make you a serious offer. At Juniker Jewelry Company, as gemologists and appraisers, 
We will assess accurately the real value of what you have. Bring us your old gold and platinum jewelry or Rolex timepiece. That diamond ring you inherited. Or maybe it's that diamond you just don't wear anymore because it simply lost its meaning. We tell you exactly what you have and make you the very best offer. We even buy large diamonds and entire estate collections. Most folks just want your scrap gold. So before you sell your old jewelry to just anybody, ask yourself, who can I trust? We're Jennifer Jewelry Company. For over 75 years, Mississippi's diamond and estate jewelry experts. For honest valuation and the best offer, Come see us today. Juniker Jewelry, Mississippi's direct diamond importer. 1485 Highland Colony Parkway in Madison and junikerjewelry.com. The best made-to-order lunch in Northeast Jackson is at 4th and Gold Sports Cafe. Homestyle plates full of catfish, shrimp, and rib tips, just to name a few. Eat in or carry out, DoorDash or Grubhub. Call 769-208-8283. Once again, 769-208-8283. This is Brent Calloway. Since 1954, Calloway's has been family-owned and operated. We offer fine merchandise at reasonable prices. We have what you need to make your outdoors beautiful and colorful. Calloway's has a large selection of fresh trees and shrubs. Calloway's has special pricing on outdoor patio furniture with all the new 2022 collections arriving. We offer landscaping. Our designers, Clinton Streeter and Corey Castle, can design and install your landscape from a small job to total transformation. Let Callaway's turn your backyard into a staycation destination. Give us a call to discuss your landscaping needs. Bring your truck or trailer. Callaway's offers bulk soils for pickup and local delivery. Refilling your propane tank is always a better option, and Callaway's is a propane refilling station. When you refill, you get more propane for less money. Callaway's in Glutstadt on Calhoun Station Parkway, south of Germantown High. Callaway's is, yourself with everything you need to take on your day wake up with gallo tomorrow on 97.3 fm super talk mississippi it's super talk outdoors with ricky matthews on super talk mississippi it's cut walls and fall football Welcome back to Super Talk Outdoors. We have Ricky Flynn. He's a wildlife coordinator. He's head of the alligator program at the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And uh, we went to the break. We were just explaining why there's a it's that time of year. The alligators are are getting out. They've been they've been sort of laying low for the whole winter. They're they're in the uh, they're in the the uh, stage of life where they're trying to multiply. And uh, you'll see some nests. Talk about talk about nesting of alligators. Is it similar to what you would see in a bird nest? Well, uh, birds and alligators have some uh, relation uh, characteristics, uh, but uh, alligator nesting is very different. Uh, alligators are cold blooded, whereas uh, birds, avians are uh, warm blooded. Uh, so uh, when an alligator builds a nest and lays its eggs, it does not incubate the eggs by laying on top of the nest or laying on top of the eggs. Um, alligators, which we, we talked about, we're in the breeding season now. Uh, we will see these adult females uh, start uh, building uh, a home range around an area where they have chosen to build a nest. Uh, the nest is usually located within about 15 to 20 feet of the water's edge on dry land. Uh, and that in Mississippi usually occurs uh, in the last week of June and the first week of July. And they will build up, scratch up all the material, whether it's uh, live vegetation, dead vegetation, leaf litter, 
uh, woody material, vines. Uh, I've even seen trash, uh, Coke bottles and things like this be brought into an alligator nest. But they will hip that material up along with some dirt um, into a pile. It's usually about six feet across at the base and uh, initially will be about two to two and a half feet deep uh, or two and a half feet high. They'll use their hind legs to excavate a hole in the middle of this heap. Uh, and they'll deposit their eggs, uh, on average about 35 to 40 eggs into the nest. They'll cover them back up. And what happens is that live vegetation, dead vegetation, uh, moist soil, dry soil, and, and all this woody material begins to decompose, much like a, uh, a, a, deco- a compost pile that you would have for your garden. And that decomposition creates heat. That heat that is inside this heap of pile of of material is what actually incubates the eggs. And that will uh, take place for about 65 to 70 days. And uh, during that time, the female will uh, stay very close to the nest and protect it from predators that may come to try and predate upon the eggs that are there. And so this is really the only time uh, of the life cycle of an alligator that they are particularly aggressive towards people if you come in close proximity of a nest. Um, most of the time, that's actually fairly rare because the location that these alligators choose is usually uh, away from people. It's usually away from other types of activity. They choose it to put it in a, in a safe site. But I have seen alligators uh, build nests right along the side of a gravel road, right along uh, near a public park or boat ramp or, or, or fishing area. Uh, it can happen. And I've actually seen some of these nests so close to people that you would think, how would they not know that there's an alligator there? But at the same time, the alligator does not uh, show any aggression towards people who come close by. Uh, I work uh, every year, I locate wild alligator nests up here on the Pearl River near Ross Barnett Reservoir. And uh, I may uh, find and, and uh, visit these alligator nests multiple times through the summer, uh, anywhere from 12 to 20 nests uh, each year. And I find that about 10% of those uh, females uh, will at least stay near the nest while I'm there conducting my activities. And only about 10% of that 10% are very aggressive. Um, uh, sometimes in some of these nests, I never even see the adult female until after the nest is hatched. And that hatching process usually begins mid-August, late August. Sometimes it will extend into September. Uh, but it's a very uh, unique uh, activity. It's a very uh, cool thing to see and witness. We've uh, actually set up uh, remote uh, cameras to document uh, the alligator nest hatching process. Uh, it's, it's just a unique event. So you got, we got just a couple of minutes left. So let's, um, <clears throat> before we get away, let's talk about what's going to happen with the alligator permitting session. We got less than a minute. Real quick, get okay. the key dates and where people can go to learn more information. Yeah, so um, everybody knows most people know about the alligator hunting season <clears throat> that we have on public waterways in the state of Mississippi. It is a statewide opportunity. We take applications during the first week of June. So you can go to our website from 10 a.m. June 1st through 10 a.m. June 8th. Submit your application. We'll do a drawing for that. You'll get an email notification if you're a winner. You go online to the link and buy your permit at that point. There you go. Short and sweet. Ricky Flint, you're good on the air. We really appreciate you. And I look forward to coming back and getting an update about how the permitting process is going. Take care, my friend. All right, y'all too. It's been great. Thank you for joining us here on Super Talk Outdoors. And as usual, like I always say, stay safe, stay safe. God bless you, and we'll see you next Monday. Mississippi Media Production.